What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. This is your host, the OG, the original great Rob Silver. And today, we have another stack podcast. We will recap the three biggest fights of the weekend involving UK fighters, two from Britain and one from Ireland. The British boys did their thing. The Redcoats came in, kicked. And they kicked the door in on Saturday. But the former two-time Olympian from Ireland, nah. I'll talk more about that later. Then um, we will have another extended Q&A session. And I will go back to my latest historical overview project, the 25 greatest knockouts of all time. Today we will talk about number 24. But before we begin the podcast and the recap of Saturday's action from overseas from the UK, once again, I want to push my $5 a month Patreon podcast that I do on the life and times of Muhammad Ali with footage from the YouTube channel, the best pristine boxing footage on YouTube. Um. Ran by my good friend from the UK, and today it's all about the UK, I guess. From the U- too bad my greatest knockout in boxing history is not a UK fighter or fight. It would have brought the whole thing full circle. But anyway, uh, my buddy from the UK, Martin, has a great, great, the best I've ever seen when it comes to boxing footage, pristine boxing footage on YouTube called Vintage Boxing. I use his footage when I when I do any type of um play by play, recreation of play by play and on my Patreon exclusive podcast, The Life and Times of Muhammad Ali, I use his footage 
when I recreate the play-by-play, what I do on each one of these episodes, and there's been four so far up, uh, I give you the timestamp on the YouTube channel, on the YouTube. The link will be in the description of the podcast. You go to the timestamp on Vintage Boxing, whatever the fight I tell you about. You go to the timestamp. I ask you to mute your devices, your smart TV, and from there, I do and recreate the play-by-play. But that's not even the highlight of each podcast. Each one of the Ali episodes, and so far I've done his fights against Sonny Liston, the Phantom Punch fight, that's episode one. His November 1965 one-sided beating of Floyd Patterson, that's episode two. His virtuoso, what many people claim, including my father, his greatest performance of all time against Cleveland Williams, November of 66, and his unification of the heavyweight championship of the world, February 67, versus Ernie Terrell. I give you the historical background of each fight. What was going on in the world, in the United States, and in Muhammad Ali's life before and after each fight, according to what my father told me in several conversations we had throughout my lifetime until he died at the very too young age of 52 back in 2000. The link is in the description of the podcast. The Patreon link, I highly recommend it because those who have gone ahead and subscribed will tell you that no one does a better job at looking at Muhammad Ali's career than the OG Rob Silver. And now on to Saturday's action. First and foremost, I want to give a shout out to Chris Billum Smith who is the pound-for-pound fighter of the week for his victory over Lawrence Okoli. He fought a perfect fight against who I considered, going into the fight, the Rob Silver Cruiserweight Champion of the World. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, shout-out to my buddy from Philly, the great barber, Tuta Barber. He asked me to give him and the listeners, my world champion in each division, well, my cruiserweight world champion going into Saturday was Lawrence Acoli. Well, he lost to Chris Billumsmith, and Chris Billumsmith fought his ass off in winning a, I don't know why it was a majority decision. I'll, I'll get back to that in a minute. It was It's ridiculous how one judge had to fight even Despite the fact, despite the fact, ladies and gentlemen, this is ridiculous. Chris Bellum Smith dominated this fight from pillar to post. All right, I had him winning eight rounds. All right. Smith dropped him, dropped him, and Okoli was deducted two points. For fouls, and yet one judge had to fight 112 112, meaning that he had given, if you take away the four points, a Coley eight rounds. What the fuck was he looking at? This is pathetic. And um, someone asked me on Twitter why oh, this has to stop. It's not going to stop, ladies and gentlemen. These. I can't think of a better word. These fucked up scorecards by these lethargic 
and impotent judges will not stop. It's been a part of my life since I started watching boxing in 1977. People ask me, oh, you had this clown, Max Kellerman, on Max Unboxing last week, a show that I will no longer watch because Max Kellerman has become a joke. I used to respect the hell out of Max Kellerman. even met the brother back in 2001. Was a nice guy. I hate what happened to his brother Sam. His brother Sam was murdered by a bastard named James Butler. Um, I'll talk more about that later on in the future. Rest in peace to Sam Kellerman. But Max Kellerman has become a shill for ESPN. He and for top rank fighters, and he's also become a haven for circus acts like Jake Paul and his brother Logan Paul on his Max Unboxing. He gives authenticity to bums like Jake Paul. And he is a cheerleader for all top-ranked fighters, and he's constantly ripping Al Heyman. Oh, Al Heyman won't come on the show with me. Al Heyman does interviews with no one. Al Heyman doesn't even do interviews with PBC announcers. So why would he do an interview with you, Max? And Max was crying, oh, 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 Lomachenko got robbed. I said this over and over again since the fight happened, and I went through it last week. That wasn't a robbery. Max, you're a boxing historian just like I am. You know a real robbery was the two the the two times Pernell got, got shafted, first against Jose Luis Ramirez and then against Julio Cesar Chavez. That was not a robbery. Anyway, I digress. Max had a episode last week where he tried to put his stamp on what scoring system can work. Shut the fuck up. All right. Despite the fact that one judge gave Lawrence Coley eight rounds and when you take away the four points deducted, had his scorecard even, the other two judges were correct in giving Chris the victory and Chris deserve it so and he's the first of two Great Britain fighters that fought their asses off. The other one, Lee Wood. Back in February he fought in one of the leading contenders of Fight of the Year, a fight in which he got staggered and stopped by Mauricio Lara. The rematch Lee Wood fought better than he did the first fight. In the first fight, he dominated for the first four four or five rounds. In this fight, he dominated from pillar to post. I mean, from opening bell to the end, all 12 rounds. I gave him 10 rounds. He used that jab beautifully. He worked everything off the jab and won an easy 12-round decision to regain his alphabet criminal cartel version of the featherweight title. And so now, we hope that he could set up a fight with the winner of the next fight that I will talk about in in in, in a moment. Uh, but let me put Mauricio Lara on blast. He came in almost four pounds overweight at the weigh-in Friday, so he had to abdicate his title at the weigh-in. Lee Wood was the only one who had a chance to win the title. That's a disgrace to come in four pounds overweight. You come in damn near 130, the fight is scheduled for 126. And people made excuses for him. Oh, he looked lethargic. He, why would he look lethargic? The man didn't make weight. He fought at the weight he was comfortable at and got his ass kicked. Laura deserves a suspension, but he's not going to get suspended. 
No, I mean, I'm surprised anybody gets suspended in boxing today. I mean, you guys, you have guys that fail PEDs and like Oscar Valdez and get a slap on the wrist. Probation, man, get the fuck out of here. Anyway, uh, Mauricio Lara, a disgrace as far as not making weight. Kudos to Lee Wood who made weight and had to come in there against a much bigger dude and he dominated to win the decision and to win back the title. He lost to Lara back in February. Now, on to the one UK fighter that spit the bit. We go to Ireland. Michael Conlon needs to retire for the second time in a year. He got violently knocked the fuck out. First two rounds against Luis Alberto Lopez, he fought well. He fought well against the uh, another alphabet criminal cartel featherweight champion. I gave Conlon the first two rounds, but beginning with the third round, Lopez, who's a ferocious typical Mexican fighter. He keeps coming. He goes to the body. He was going to the body first two rounds. He has a great chin. Not much of a defense, but on a tremendous offensive fighter, began landing hooks and crosses to the chin of Conlon in round three. Did even more damage in round four. In round five, landed a spectacular right uppercut. Conlon went down like he was shot. His corner threw in the towel. Second time in two years, Michael Conlon got knocked out violently. Michael Conlon, if or anybody that's listening to Michael, listening to this show that knows Michael Conlon, you need to sit your ass down and retire. Or else you are going to be a vegetable within the next three, four years. You're done. Stick a fork in you. Uh, I, I hope you made a lot of money. Uh, you could always go to trading fighters in Ireland or become a color commentator because your fighting days are over. You will never beat an elite fighter and you are chitty and you get hurt too easily and your reflexes are not the same and you never lived up to the hype you d- that we were presented about you when you came out the Olympics. This was the guy that everybody was saying was a better fighter than Shakur Stevenson in the amateurs. Now look at Shakur, and now look at Michael Conlon. So the fighter of the week is Chris Bellum-Smith. Kudos to Luis Alberto Lopez. And let's now see a fight between Lee Wood and Luis Alberto Lopez. That would be another great fight because Lee Wood, an excellent boxer, would have to fight the same type of discipline, discipline, a uh, discipline-type fight he fought against Lara this past Saturday, but the tension would always be there because Lopez, like Lara in their first in his first fight with Wood, could catch you in one shot, hurt you, and change the momentum of the fight as Lara did in his first fight against Wood. It's a damn shame we don't get a trilogy with Lara, but uh, Lara is no longer a, a featherweight. He'll go to junior lightweight, and uh, hopefully he learns a lesson from this fight. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. 
What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, on to the Q&A session of the podcast. Let me go to Twitter. Anybody that ha- that wants my uh, questions answered on the podcast, hashtag AskRobSilva on Twitter. Hashtag AskRobSilva on Twitter. And I got a bunch of questions. Some of these questions I am not going to answer the first question was from a text from a personal friend of mine who's no longer on twitter what's up kobe my brother kobe born in detroit now living in tennessee kobe and i had a discussion about the haney lomachenko fight and i told him you know what i'm going to mention what i consider the five greatest robberies in boxing history and these are my five greatest robberies in boxing history this is my list you guys crying about Devin Haney versus Vasily Lomachenko? These fights blow away that fight when it comes to controversy. In no particular order. June 28th, 1991, Azuma Nelson versus Jeff Fennick. I gave Azuma Nelson the first two rounds. Fennick swept the last 10. A fight in which uh, Dave Moretti... I talked all about it last week on a podcast. It's time for his old 78-year-old decrepit ass to stop scoring fights. It's a crime when one of the major judges in boxing is the same age as my senile president of the United States, Joe Biden. Come on, man. Let's stop it with these old people. Like, send them somewhere. We all know that a 78-year-old brain does not work the same as a 38-year-old brain. Hell, I'm 55. Never took a punch in my life. And I have I have a short terms of memory lapse from 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 time to time. Sometimes I'm watching a program and I'm like, "Yeah, I remember that he, that dude used to be on this show and a show that I used to love and I can't remember the name of the show." Get Dave Moretti out of here. Anyway, he was one of the judges that caused Jeff Fennick to get robbed. And instead of Fennick winning his fourth world title, Azuma Nelson escapes with a 12-round draw that he did not deserve. The very first fight between Jeff Fennick and Azuma Nelson, you guys go check it out, the entire fight's on YouTube. Fennick dominated that fight and got robbed. Two of Pernell Whitaker's fights are among the five biggest robberies in boxing history. His first fight with Jose Luis Ramirez. He boxed Ramirez's ears off March of 1988 in France. Uh, Ramirez's adopted hometown. Ramirez wins a robbery of a decision. Decision so bad that Lou Duval wanted to beat up the judges and Ramirez and Ramirez's cornerman. Also, an even worse decision because I had a, a, a Whitaker winning 10 rounds in his fight against Julio Cesar Chavez. September 1993. One of the worst robberies in the history of boxing. 
This was horrible. A draw. The fight was scored a draw. This was ridiculous. A horrendous decision. Pee Wee, twice in his career, was shafted by the judges. The worst robbery I ever saw in person. I took my father to see this fight. March of 1999, Lennox Lewis versus Evander Holyfield. Another fight in which I gave Lennox Lewis 10 rounds. The fight was scored a draw. This was ridiculous. One of the judges gave the round in which Evander Holyfield almost got knocked out to Evander Holyfield. Pathetic, 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 pathetic. Horrible, horrible, horrible scorecard. Pathetic. Ladies and gentlemen, you guys out there crying about, oh, Lomachenko got robbed. Lomachenko got robbed. Where you have four or five rounds that could have gone either way. In the fights I just mentioned, there was no such thing as maybe a round that could have gone either way. So let's stop the nonsense. Let's stop the bullshit. And my fifth and final worst decision in the history of boxing was the August 29th, 1951 fight. Madison Square Garden, years before I was born, shit, my father was only three years old at the time, so he he, he wasn't even coherent enough <laughs> to watch this fight. Kid Gavilon versus Billy Graham. Kid Gavilon gets a controversial decision. The score was so bad that the referee that uh, gave the fight to the deciding fo- a vote to uh, Gavilan had to leave the ring under police protection. All right. So those, ladies and gentlemen, are my five worst robberies in the history of boxing. Now back to the Q&A session. This is going to be a, a, a long one. I'm going to have to cut out some questions because there's far too many. But that's that that's a that's a testament to you guys, man. I appreciate the love. All right. Next question. Next question. Let me see. All right. Okay. From LL School K, longtime loyal listener of all my podcasts, all my several platforms. Has Tony Weeks lost a step? Uh as you saw in his horrible stoppage of the Roly Romero Ishmael uh, Barroso's fight, yes, it's time for Kenny Bayless and Tony Weeks, two guys that I have a lot of respect for, to uh, stop uh, being the referee in major fights. It's it's time. Hey, Sue Silas asks. My thoughts on this question: Oscar De La Hoya tweeted, "Haney beat Loma like Mayweather beat me." Robbery. The De La Hoya Mayweather fight had a lot of rounds that could have gone either way. I gave Floyd the fight. I thought the best Oscar could have done, there were about three rounds that could have gone either way, is get a draw. Oscar, I didn't think did enough to win that fight. Floyd, I think did enough to win that fight. But you could have made a case for a draw. It wasn't a robbery. Oscar's still crying. After all these years, shut the fuck up, Oscar. 
Lomachenko Haney wasn't a robbery, and Delahoya Mayweather wasn't a robbery. Thank you, Jesus. Next question. LL School King asks, wonder if you could touch on this, but we have to stop calling people bums because of a law so they were exposed. This is the reason why big fights don't get made. That's not the reason why big fights get don't get made. When a fighter loses a fight, sometimes that increases his marketability to other fighters because, oh, if he lost to this guy, then let me fight him. No, no, no. It was announced this week, finally, Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford are going to fight July 29th. Thank God, finally, after all these years. But this just proves to me what I was telling all you clowns on social media. You guys were claiming Terrence Crawford was ducking Errol Spence. It was always about the money. It was always about Terrence wanting more money than he wanted to get now. Do I agree with that stance? No. No. I've always felt that Errol Spence is the A-side fighter, and Errol Spence should have got more money. Whatever the, they're making now, and I didn't look into the financial uh, discussion. I didn't look into who's getting what for this fight. The fight's made. I told you guys that you had much, many more people on my timeline claiming Spence was ducking. Now, Crawford was ducking and Spence was ducking, but neither fighter was ducking. If you put these guys in the room, they wanted to fight each other. You cannot claim that a fighter is afraid of another fighter when Terrence Crawford got shot in the head. He survived that gunshot and has become one of the greatest fighters of the 21st century. Errol Spence almost died in a car accident in which he was ejected from his seatbelt and fell face first onto the concrete floor. Almost died. His career looked over. I said it was over. Came back and has not lost a step since then. Neither fighter, if both men can overcome life-threatening situations, they're not afraid of another fighter in the ring, especially two great first ballot Hall of Fame fighters in Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. I've got Errol Spence as the second best fighter in the world. Terrence Crawford as the third best fighter in the world. And by the way, that week, you have three of my top ten fighters and three of my top four fighters fighting in the same week. The two best fights to be made in boxing this year. On July 24th, you've got Master Noe versus Stephen Kuboy Fulton. Nayoa Mastanoi is my pal for pal best fighter in the world. And then you got number two and number three, Spencer Crawford, fighting each other four days later. One of the greatest weeks in the history of boxing. And I have a lot to cover that week, and I will talk about that when that comes. But I'm looking forward to that week of boxing, July of July 25th and July 29th, 2023. Okay. Next question. Uh, this is a this is a real good uh, young brother, very very well read, and he's always willing to learn on any type of topic. John Lewis, J A W N Lewis from Detroit, ask. Top five disappointing careers or boxers you you thought would have had a better career. This is a great question, and I'm going to answer this off the top of my head give you five boxes that I felt should have had a greater career than they did. Paul Gonzalez was the 1984 
Olympian with a lot of with, with who many experts thought from the 1984 Olympic team was going to have a career as great as Pernell Whitaker, Meldrick Taylor, Evander Holyfield. Holyfield and Whitaker had first ballot Hall of Fame careers. Meldrick Taylor was never the same after his destructive and controversial loss to Julio Cesar Chavez in March of 1990. Paul Gonzalez didn't even have a Meldrick Taylor-like career. He had a flop of a career. Early in his career, he beat Orlando Canizales, future world champion. And then years later, when Canizales became champion, he gave Gonzalez a title shot at Bantamweight, and he knocked out Gonzalez in the second round. Gonzalez's career flopped, and now he's uh, been exposed as a lifelong pedophile. Fuck you, Paul Gonzalez. But he has one of my five most disappointing careers in boxing history. Another one. Howard Davis. Howard Davis was voted the 1976 Val Barker Award for the best fighter in the Olympic Games. He got a huge TV deal from CBS Sports. His three biggest fights he lost and he never became a world champion. He lost to Jim Watt in a fight which I thought he eat. He was the much more talented fighter, but he froze and got his ass kicked. Was ahead going into the 12th and final round against Edwin Rosario and got knocked down with seconds left to lose the decision. And then he got knocked out by Buddy McGirt in the Battle of Long Island in uh, late July. It was July 29th or July 30th of 1988. So those, uh, so so far you got Paul Gonzalez and Howard Davis, Adrian Broner, another guy, and now people go say, oh, but he won four titles. Adrian Broner had a natural gift. He naturally gifted fighter. Yeah, he won four titles. He won four titles against four fucking bums. He's never beaten an elite fighter's entire career, and has never been the same since Marcos Madonna wiped the fucking mat with him several years ago. Yeah, he's got a fight up and coming. They found a, a cab driver for him to fight. So he should win his first fight in several years. Adrian Broner. Very disappointed career. You have uh, the Peterson brothers. Anthony and Lamont. I thought both of these guys were going to have several, several great fights and have a great career. Neither one lived up to their expectations. And one last fighter, shout out to my brother uh, June, one of the great artists on on Twitter, Flint, Michigan. I know he holds this guy in high regard, and I do too. But Andre Durrell, in my opinion, was the most talented fighter ever to come out of Flint, Michigan. And for some reason, he's never been a world champion, A, and B, he never lived up to his incredible talent. Oh, my God. He, Andre Durrell, in my opinion, as gifted as Clarissa Shields from Flint, Michigan. He's the most gifted Flint boxer ever. So his brother, Anthony Durrell, won a world title. Andre never did. Oh, man. And um, Andre Durrell would have had a major fight with Andre Ward had he not got fouled and hit in the back of the head and concussed and had to remove himself from the super middleweight title tournament a decade ago. 
more than a decade ago, 11 to 12 years, the 12, uh, uh, 12 to 13 years ago. Andre Durrell, one of the most disappointing careers, and John, right, John Lewis, right out of, uh, right, right from your state of, uh, great state of Michigan. All right, thanks again, John. All right. Mark Story McAhill on Twitter asks, tape, CD, MP3, or vinyl? For me, my my favorite sounding was the audio cassette, the tape. Uh, CD is the clearest sound probably out of all of them. You lose a lot with MP3 streaming. You do. You do You do. Uh, uh, miss out a lot. Uh, but a lot of people like vinyl. But if you... Good to my head, I would just stick with audio cassettes. But I, even though the CD sound is the more quality sound, but my preference would be the audio cassette. Hell, it wasn't until 1993 that I finally bought my first CD. And I was 25 at the time. That's how much I love audio cassette. Johnny New Orleans, a great, great buddy of mine from New Orleans, asked, What's the difference between a swivel jab and a lead hand cross? What they now call a swivel jab, I feel like they used to call a cross. Swivel jab is some fucking nonsense that these motherfucking clown announcers made up, all right? Swivel jab is just a straight left jab. Can't be a cross because a cross can't come from your lead hand. That's what a swivel jab is. If I don't even, look, I don't even recognize that term. A jab is a jab. Like I've said over and over again, what my father taught me, my father, former amateur boxer, your front hand is what you jab with. If If you're a traditional orthodox fighter, that's your left jab. And when you come over the top with your right hand, that's the right cross. When you throw a shot in close, with your lead hand, the jab, the hand that you jab with, that's a left hook. Period. End of story. Thanks again, uh, Johnny. Please send me more questions, man, because every time you give me questions, it's on, it's on the money. All right. Jesus Silas asked me, give me my, give, give me your top ten comedians of all time. Somebody came out on Twitter with a bullshit list of what they felt was the greatest comedians of all time, and it was a bullshit list. Had Amy Schumer on the list, but not Eddie Murphy. All right, I'm going to try and do this. Uh, my top three, and the rest, you could decide what. you it could, it could, Any of these guys could be four to ten. But my, well, actually, my four, my Mount Rushmore are Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, Red Fox, and Dave Chappelle. Those, to me, are the four greatest comedians of all time. Then five to ten, you could put them wherever you want to. You you could put these guys wherever you want to put them. David Wayans, Chris Tucker. And I've seen Chris Tucker live. And, man, he he had me hollering so bad that the late, great Harry Belafonte turned around and asked me if I could please lower the volume. That's how much I was howling in laughter. So I said, David Wayans, Chris Tucker. I'm not putting Martin Lawrence on my list. When I went to see him several years ago, back in 2016, I was I almost fell asleep. He was horrible. He was horrible live. I know he's held in in high esteem with a lot of people, but I can't put him on my list. Uh, 
So I've I've got I've got so I so I got four more to go. You try to think who else is on my greatest? I got Chris Tucker, David Wayans. Who else is in my top? God, Lord, man, early signs to mention. What's going on here? Got to put George Carlin in my top ten. That's a legend. He was number one on that fucked up list. Like, like when I wouldn't agree with Carlin being number one, but man, he is a legend. He is a goat. He is definitely on the short list, and he's on my top ten. He's the funniest white comedian I've ever seen, to be honest with you. All right, so five, six, seven. And this is no order. I'm just trying to off the top of my head because, you know, I answer these questions off the cuff. Eight, nine, ten. Who would I put at eight? Nine to ten. This will be the last question I answer for 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 this week, because I don't want to run over run over time. Eight, nine, ten. Chris Rock. In Chris Rock's prime, he was as funny. He had me screaming. He was as funny as any dude I ever saw live. Definitely Chris Rock. Bernie Mac, phenomenal comedian. Just a just a legendary comedian who died way too young. And uh, number ten, I got Robin Williams. Go check out Robin Williams' early stuff when he was a struggling comedian, or after Mark and Mindy, and right before he became a mega movie star he had a few comedy specials on hbo that will have you shit in your pants so those are my top 10 jesus and now on to my uh, greatest knockouts in boxing history my number 24 my number 24th greatest knockout in boxing history occurred december 18th 1993 in puebla mexico this is from an article I wrote on FightGameMediaNetwork.com. So you guys can always check out my articles. I've got a bevy of articles on there. So as I wrote, my 24th greatest knockout in boxing history. Going into the ring on a hot night in Mexico to defend his WBC Super Welterweight title versus former welterweight champion Simon Brown, Terry Norris had been on a mercurial roll since knocking out John Mugabe on March 31st, 1990 to win the title. Since winning the title, which is chronicled in an earlier article I wrote, Norris had defeated a slew of ex-147-pound champions such as Sugar Ray Leonard, Donald Curry, Meldrick Taylor, and Maurice Blocker. None of these fights were competitive as Norris wiped the canvas with each one of the former champions. Norris was a 7-1 favorite to do the same to Brown. Brown had other plans. After losing his 147-pound welterweight title to Buddy McGirt in November of 1991, Brown went on a five-fight winning streak against less than stellar opposition. My father and I didn't think the 30-year-old Brown had the speed anymore to compete with the 26-year-old champion. We figured Norris would move side to side, dizzying Brown with angles before finishing finishing him off. What we didn't take into consideration was how complacent Norris had gotten in his recent fights. He had become increasingly aggressive and continued to do so in the first three rounds of his fight with Brown. This gave Brown several openings at Norris's fragile chin. Right before the end of the third round, Brown badly stunned Norris with a right cross that had Norris stumbling back to his corner at the bell. 
Norris was still not right when round four began. Both men were engaging in fierce exchanges when a minute into the round, Brown landed a chopping right cross that dropped the already loopy Norris face first to the canvas. My father screamed, that's it! Referee Jose Guadalupe then counted a severely concussed Norris out. It was one of the most shocking upsets in the history of the 154-pound division. Norris would, would gain the title in a rematch five months later. Norris wisely boxed from the outside and won a relatively easy decision. Brown, as chronicled in our previous list, would never be the same after getting knocked out by Vincent Petway a year later. Norris would again lose his title in his very next fight via disqualification to Luis Santana before once again regaining the title. After another six successful defenses, Norris would would suffer a severe beating in December of 1997, losing his title to Keith Mullings. After two more brutal defeats, Norris finally retired at the tender age of 31. Now, ladies and gentlemen, next week is going to be a very special episode. There are no major fights this week coming, which is perfect because premiering Friday, this Friday, um, this two days from when you hear this, from when the, this podcast is being released, May 31st, Friday, June 2nd, Showtime premieres the documentary on Andre Ward's life. If you know anything about Showtime documentaries, especially their sports and music documentaries, they are the leading documentary makers in the sport in in the sport not only in the sport but in the world today i expect nothing but a phenomenal documentary but we will see well next week will be a three part podcast dedicated to Andre Ward and Andre Ward only. I will give my prediction at the end of the podcast on the upcoming Tiafimo Lopez versus Josh Taylor junior welterweight title fight. But that's the only thing I will talk about that is non-Andre Ward related. Next week, the entire show will be dedicated to the career of Andre Ward. I will reread my historical overview that I wrote on Fight Game Media on Andre Ward's career. I will do a watch along play by play rebroadcast where you guys can watch along and I will redo, I will recreate the play by play in my own words of his final fight of his career, his rematch versus Sergey Kovalev. And I believe that that fight was from 2017. Um, sorry, my 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 memory is at 55, just as bad as Dave Moretti's at 78. So I will give you the link. The link of the 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 link will be in the description of the podcast, the YouTube link, and I will go ahead and recreate that entire fight play by play, and then. I will end the podcast with my review of the Showtime documentary on Andre Ward's life. And if you guys want to ask any questions, next week's Q&A session will only be devoted to questions dealing with Andre Ward, not nothing else. Any questions I didn't answer this week, I will answer the week after. So until next week, when we dedicate 
the entire show to the career, to the life of one of the greatest men ever, not only step in the ring, but one of the greatest men to ever be outside the ring in the son of God, Andre Ward. Until we talk about SOG Andre Ward next week, I want everybody out there to continue to be blessed and be a blessing. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.